The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. And be seated, and we'll get get started. I uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I know I've been away from youth speaking for a while, so most of the young people probably have no clue who I am. And uh, but then again, some of the old people probably have no clue. And then there's some of you that probably don't give a rip, and so uh, you just really don't care. But uh, I'm Bob Hooker, and my wife and I have six daughters, and uh, we have uh, coming up, I think September, our 26th grandchild. And so uh, you young people didn't know people could be that old, did you? But uh, we are excited about being here. I'm thrilled. I'm sorry that Brother Joe Brown could not be here, uh, but I'm glad that they gave me a call and, and uh, we were able to get down here from Memphis and be getting back there tonight. I, uh, uh, this theme, and of course, I didn't even know the theme. I just uh, do what I normally do. As soon as, as soon as I got the phone call, I began to ask the Lord, okay, what direction do you want me to go? Where you want me to, what do you want me to do? And God put on my heart, a message that uh, I haven't preached in probably, I don't know, probably four or five years, uh, maybe a little less than that, but uh, uh, it's something I haven't preached that much. But it's actually what you're going to have today, you're going to have two preachers. You're going to have, uh, you're going to get to listen to two men preach. One will be me, of course, and one will be a much younger man that will be preaching for you today uh, for a few minutes. I want you to go to John chapter 6 and... Um, uh, I'm going to try to keep everything on schedule, try to do everything I can on schedule. Um, I spend a lot of my life uh, using a, a lot of humor. I'm not saying I won't use it right now, but, but uh, the truth is, is I want to make sure that I get plenty of time for the second preacher. And so uh, I'm going to uh, do that. But it's, uh, I, I'm gonna, I think this message, as God directs me, I think it'll show if we really kind of connect the dots, it'll show us why some don't continue. And I spoke a little bit about that this morning at the, at the soul one. And it's uh, my pastor, uh, Brother Howell, said um, probably 25, 30 years ago, he said the uh, average lifespan of a soul winner is three to five years. And when he said that, I, I, I thought in my heart, I don't want to be average. I don't want that to happen to me. I, if that happens to me, then truthfully, my children will not follow the Lord. They'll turn away. And so... Um, uh, I think we're going to see one of the reasons that uh, we, we start to turn away. And that's uh, all ages, but we're dealing with young people here tonight. And so, uh, or to this afternoon. And so, uh, I'm going to do my best to present this. But John chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, And two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, but so the men sat down, and in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, 
And the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless. Here, Spirit of God, I, I yield myself to thee again. And Father, I ask you please to, to bring understanding to this passage. And please, I need clarity of mind and strength of body. And, and Lord, I need your wisdom. Spirit of God, I need you to guide my thoughts. And oh, Lord, I ask you please to move through this place and that you touch the hearts and minds of young people. Lord, we're in a horrible battle. And dear God, we need a young generation to come up strong. So Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'd wrap your arms around this place, this moment. And be a mighty hedge of protection to us, to everyone in here. And Lord, that you would turn back every evil that would try to influence, or that would try to snatch away the truth. Please, Father, work in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, I believe this is an amazing story. And I believe it's an amazing story of the power of God. You know, it would be as if one of you came in right now and one of you young people came in here and we were all hungry and you pull, pulled out a sack and we just kept pulling it out. And you'd think, that's impossible, you know. It's, it's impossible to do that. But that's, that's what happened here. Uh, God did this and did it for thousands of people and he fed everybody there. And it was it's just an amazing story of the power of God, an amazing story of the provision of God. But I want to quickly look at the story. I, I used to, before I went into the ministry, I was, I was a police officer and a detective and, and did a, a bunch of other things. But, uh, but those are the two things that I really was primary after I graduated from college at Memphis. I, um, and as I did, and one of the things, I thought that part of my life was just to kind of set to the side. You know, I'd no longer be chasing people anymore. I thought that until I went to Bible college and end up uh, putting myself through Bible college catching shoplifters. I worked in a place called Sport Mart as a sporting goods store. And then when they hired me, they said, well, you, uh, you know, we need your security, plain clothes detective. And I, I looked at him, I said, look, if you really want to hire me, do you really want to catch people or am I just going to walk around for 12 hours a day as, as a deterrent? And they, it was a Jewish owner, owned seven, eight stores there in the Chicagoland area. And he looked at me across his big desk and he said, one penny. If they take one penny, get them. And I thought, okay, you're my kind of guy, you know. <laughs> you know, so I went to work there and, and, of course, really quickly got known as the preacher boy. And everybody around there, well, then they got nervous. I got called in by the corporate attorney, and he, he called me in. I thought, what did I do wrong? And I came in, and he said, some of the men, the security officers, have found out that you are a preacher. And I said, well, yeah, that's what, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I'm in Bible college. And they said, well, they're a little concerned. I said, about what? They said, well, we have to get physical sometimes. And we're just concerned that your religion might not allow you to get physical. And I said, I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> I said, I'm just actually waiting for the opportunity. So, uh, 
it wasn't about two weeks, two weeks later, and this guy, he, uh, another officer was going to stop him. You got to give him their last opportunity, last opportunity to pay. And so before you stop him, this other officer goes to stop him, and, and uh, the guy he just hit him and, and took off running out the front door. Well, the guy that tried to stop him, he was pretty heavy, and he wasn't going to move very fast. And, and uh, so I just booked out the door, and I went chasing this guy across the parking lot. And, uh, and, and when I did, uh, finally, we, I grabbed him and spun him around. Well, he swung at me. Well, we started fighting right out there in the parking lot. And then we went down to the ground. And, and, uh, and we, man, we're just wrestling. Finally, I get him in a, in a headlock. And I keep saying, you know, quit. He's trying to bite me. He's kicking. He's scratching. He's, and I, you know, I got him in a headlock and, I, and around his throat. And I said, look, look, quit. If you quit, you'll ease up, then I'll stop. Well, I, I would, he would stop. I'd ease up. As soon as I'd ease up, he started fighting again. And I'd go back down and say, look, it's not going to work. And I did it about three times. Third time, I said, look, if you just stop, then I'll, I'll let you go, and we'll get up. And so I, I, he starts to stop. Instead of easing up this time, I just went, bam, right on the back of his head. Just planted his head on the asphalt there, and he had a big old <laughs> tattoo. And, uh, and then, he, amazing, he just walked right on in. Well, I found out the whole time that I'm doing this, nobody came out of the store to help me. And when I come back in, I got a standing ovation from all the employees. They're all at the window going, come here, watch the preacher. <laughs> it was great. Uh, next three and a half years, I, I caught a little over 400 shoplifters. I took 10 stitches in my lift right here. Come up, I'll give you a dollar. You give me a dollar, I'll show it to you. It's right here. <laughs> 10 stitches, man. Uh, I, I was chasing a guy, and a, he got out the door, too, and he was about 6'1", and, and uh, it, they always think that, you know, the old bald-headed guy can't run. So, uh, but I, I caught him. But right when I got to him, he spun around and, boom, kicked me in the mouth. I didn't know he was a black belt karate instructor. You know, I went and you say, how'd you find that out? I'm going to tell you. So I, <laughs> I dropped to my knees, man. Blood's coming out of my mouth. And you say, what'd you do? That made me mad. <laughs> it really did. It really made me mad. So I jumped up and he thought, there's no way I'm coming because he just kicked me in the mouth. I just dropped. So he stays, he's still running. Well, I jumped up. I caught him again, but this time he didn't know I was coming. I drove him, drove him head first into the pavement, grabbed him by his hair, put my knee behind his head, pulled his hair back up, gets head against my knee, and then I pulled his arm behind his back and I said, kick me again. <laughs> so now... He said, what's I got to do with anything? I don't know how I got going that direction. <laughs> but because of my background, I, I, I thought it was gone forever. But the Lord started really chastising me about it, that the things in my past I could use. And so, truthfully, I look into the Bible for evidence. I look for testimony. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to kind of walk you through a little investigation here. I, I want to look at this story and see how I believe it really happened. Now, and, and as I walk through this, I want you to think with me. First of all, number one, we kind of put the facts together. Number one, Jesus is having a conversation with Philip. That's not a hard one to find, right? That's a fact. Are, are you okay? It's a fact. 
Okay? Number two, it is obviously not a private conversation. Now, how do we know that? Because Andrew heard it. Amen. Okay? We do not, number three, we do not know how far Andrew was away from the conversation, but obviously enough so Philip did not know or did not see the boy that he's about to talk about. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I need a, a couple, of, couple of men to... Men. <laughs> Can I... I need, I need college guys in here. I don't know anybody, so yeah, you college Singers. We don't have any men, but we're going to do the best we can. So here. Come here. I need two of you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Okay. Now let's take a vote. Which one of these gets to be Jesus? <laughs> Jesus can't be that ugly. All right, no. <laughs> We didn't go up, though, did we? All right. Now, okay, here we go. Jesus, and here we go. It's Philip, right? And so, now, I need, I need Andrew. I need... <laughs> Another college guy? Do we only have two college guys? Okay, come on over here. That's fine. You can be Andrew right now. Now, why don't you just stand right, right back down here, okay? What's your name? Drake Red Singer. No, it's Andrew. Come on, man. There... <laughs> It didn't matter how you answered. The, uh, now, look, we've got right here, we've got Jesus talking to Philip, we've got Andrew down here, and we've got 5,000 men. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of people out here, all right? Now, we've got them all out here, and something's about to take place. Jesus is about to have a conversation with Philip. Now, I doubt they were even this close, you know, but they're just talking. Now, apparently, there's some distance between Philip and Andrew. Because otherwise, Philip would have seen the boy the same time that Andrew did or known about him or something. But somehow, Andrew knows something that Philip doesn't know. And, and there's a conversation going on here. But the conversation between these two, he hears it. Everybody with me? Okay. All right. Now, some things to consider. Do you think, number one, do you think this is the only person, this boy is the only person of a, in a crowd of thousands that had any food? I always dealt in probability. Let me tell you, it's really highly, it's not impossible, it's highly improbable that there was only one person in all that crowd that had food. You ever think about that? One person in all that crowd that had food. Really? There was only one kid amongst everybody that had enough sense to bring some food? I'm just, that's highly improbable. Anybody agree with me? Okay. How did Andrew spot this one lone boy in a crowd of thousands? You ever think about that one? How did he find him? How did Andrew know, watch this now, how did Andrew know what was in the lunch exactly? It's one thing to know some kids got a lunch. How does he know exactly what's in it? Y'all ever think about this kind of thing? I'm going to give you the answers. Andrew knew exactly what was in that lunch because he was Superman, had x-ray vision. <laughs> no, that's not it. He did it from some of our older, more educated people. There was a long period of time that elapsed in between the verse, verse 6 and 7, sort of the gap theory of the Gospels, <laughs> where Andrew searched this massive crowd trying to find some kid with a lunch. 
Do you understand how long it would take to go around trying to find somebody who's got a lunch? Okay, number three. Maybe Andrew spotted the kid earlier, marked him thinking he could talk that kid out of his lunch. Because Andrew knew there ain't no food around here. Nobody's got anything, but that kid's got lunch. And he's like, hey, kid. All right. Number four. Maybe Andrew had the nose of a bloodhound, and he smelled it out. Now, I don't think that was it. I don't think any of those. Now, the only way this could have happened reasonably, I believe, is this. As Jesus spoke to Philip, Andrew stood a short distance away, maybe a few feet. But they were all in the proximity of the crowd. The fact that Andrew heard Jesus means that, listen to this, the fact that Andrew heard Jesus in this private conversation means that others, maybe not the whole crowd, but some others could have heard it. Without a doubt, as I say again, there's more than one kid that had food that day, more than one person that had food. It's crucial, though. But obviously, I believe one young boy heard it. One young boy heard that Jesus needed food. Now listen, with the simple faith only a young child has, a young boy steps out of the crowd to come to Jesus. It's okay, buddy. Come on. You see, I put together every fact I could, and I looked at everything, this thing over and over again. And the only reasonable way is that the faith of a child heard the need of the Savior, and without hesitation, he came. Would you walk around there to Andrew, though? Go down the steps, go around to Andrew. Now, Andrew, I want you to stop him. Because, you know what? Not everybody should be able to run up to Jesus when you've got thousands of people. So I believe, and I can't prove this, but I believe that Andrew stopped the little boy and said, what do you need, son? And the little boy said, Jesus is hungry. He said, what do you mean? I heard him. Jesus needs food. And the little boy said, I brought the food. Andrew probably found out it was in there because he bent over and just kind of looked in and maybe even smiled, maybe even patted him on the head and thought, that's good, son. But you probably better keep your food. But see, that happened before the whole conversation concluded. And now here we are, and Andrew says, there's a little lad here. 
a little lad with some loaves and fishes. Well, really, what is that? You know what that is? That's everything he's got. That's everything that he possesses. Do you understand that they're in the wilderness? Do you understand if his food is gone, what he's offering to Jesus, when it's gone, he's in the wilderness, he has nothing else. It's not like, oh, we got five minutes to get to the house. They're in a, a, a good distance into the wilderness. This is a young boy that's giving up his food for the day. And can I tell you, I know boys eat. We directed that military ministry for, for almost 20 years, and, and thousands of boys stayed in my house. And I'm telling you what, they'd come in Saturday night after playing ball, and they would eat everything in my house. By, by the time we took off for church Sunday afternoon, our house was cleaned out. They would eat nonstop. I got to where they'd walk in the door, and I'd say, Fellas, you can have anything you want in the refrigerator if you can pick the lock. But that little boy, without hesitation, said, here it is. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. Thank you, man. Now, young one boy among thousands, he brings all he has to Jesus. Now, listen to me. All through the crowd, just as right now, all through the crowd, adults, older teens, I believe had their food but I think they were holding on to it probably in some cases hiding it because they knew that a lot of other people had nothing they were probably waiting to a moment where they could maybe sneak over behind a rock or something someplace so they could eat it without people knowing that they had it because I say again, I think it's highly improbable that one kid out of thousands of people had some food. See, others heard Jesus' need and concern, but this one little lad said, I believe in you, and if you need all I have, you can have it. Now, you can call it faith or trust, belief, whatever you want, but one little boy said, I don't have much, but you can have all I have. I saw this in, in uh, a little example. My first daughter to get married was my second daughter. And, uh, and she was uh, getting married. Brother Howells was uh, still alive. And you know, she was the only daughter that got married by Brother Howells. But she, was, she, uh, uh, she came through, got through all the wedding. And, of course, I got six of them I got to go through. And, and, uh, and so, I, yeah, I'm broke after one. I was broke before the one. So... You know, so we get through everything, and, and Brother Howells comes up here, and he's got the little grooms, uh, you know, what, what do you call that little, um, little, little kid, that, the guy, but uh, I mean, <laughs> what is it? What's he called? I don't even know what you said, but yeah, and, uh, and so he's got him up there, and he's just a little big guy, his name was Titus Gillespie, and he was about four years old, and he's there, he's one of those kids that by the time he got to the front, his shirt tails out, his suspenders are off, shoes, you know, he's up there, he sits down during the wedding, he sits down like this, he gets tired, and he just kind of sits down, and goes, 
So he's really enjoying it. But we go through the whole thing, and, and this kid's not paying attention to anything. Well, Brother Howells gets up, and he starts making fun of me, which he, he did a few times. And so he said, uh, he said, listen, folks, I just want you to know that I've never taken a dime for any wedding I've ever done. And he said, this being Bob Hooker's daughter, I wouldn't get a dime anyway. <laughs> Titus gets up, walks over, comes to Brother Howells and reaches out and hands him a dime. <laughs> it was perfect. I've never, I've got this implanted in my mind. Brother Howells threw back his head and he was laughing so hard because nobody had ever given him a dime. I can't say it anymore. Because Titus gave him a dime. And you know what happened? A little child in simple faith heard that the preacher wanted a dime. And you know what a child, a childlike faith does? It just says, take it. People will ask us how we went from our background. I was uh, not saved till I was 20 and, and playing football and boxing and doing things at college and and, and, and honestly, a, a wicked life. In a dorm room, one, one night, November the 8th, 1975, my dorm room, I, I, I knelt down with the Gideon's Bible and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I had nobody to teach me, nobody to help me, nobody. I, I didn't know anything. About 11 months later, I met the woman that was going to be my wife and has been my wife for 41 years. God has been so incredibly good to us. i got six daughters, and all of them are married to preachers and serving the Lord. How did this happen? How did, and people ask us as we travel the country and preach and teach, and they'd say, how? How, how did you go from that to this? And I'll tell you by the grace of God, but I'm going to tell you the one thing that we had, simple, childlike faith. We just, we just, look, we didn't know what we were doing, but God would say, go, we'd go. If God said, stay, we stay. If God said, move, we moved. This old boy stepped out. He heard the voice of God in his heart. He responded completely and totally. He gave it all. His food was his life, was his existence out in that wilderness. While others held on to their lives, hid their lives, waiting for everyone to disperse to make sure they'd not have to even share. One boy willingly said, I give it all. And I had the privilege of meeting personally a boy just like that. But I met him as a very young man. And that's who's going to preach to you for the next eight minutes. Can you all help me, fellas? Well, I tell you what, just get it ready and let me... I'll go ahead and give some background to help you. In 2007, my daughter, 21 years old, married a young man named Matt Guzzi at 21 years of age. They'd been a, honestly, they got, they met, dated, and married a lot quicker than, than normally I would have even accepted or approved. But as I said, it's a simple childlike faith. God impressed upon my heart that I needed to do this. Matt, as, as a 10th grader, had met Amber and 
as a 10th grader when he was driving away from a youth meeting. He told everybody in the van he met the girl that he was going to marry. And, but he also knew that I wouldn't let my daughter's date seriously until that, till the young man was going into his junior year in college. He never asked her out till he finished his sophomore year. And then he came to me and asked me if he could ask her out. They married in 2007 and three months later, in January of 2008. He was to graduate in May from college. He had a job as an assistant pastor lined up. They had a little money in the bank and they owned a little mobile home. He had a beautiful wife, a ministry of future possessions, intelligence. He was athletically extremely talented. He had it all. One Friday night in January, he was working a midnight shift at his job, and it was a desk job, and he, he told me this later. He stopped and he prayed that night about midnight, and he said, here, he wrote it down, his exact prayer. God, I want you to use me. God, you can have all I have, my money, my home, my possessions, my health, if you'll just use me. Who was this young man? His mom and daddy busted up when he was nine years old. He lived in the ghettos of Philadelphia. My, another son-in-law of mine was a youth leader in the church. And his daddy was the pastor, Dennis Higgins. And they found this mama and little boy in the ghettos of Philadelphia. And Matt pretty much became like a, an adopted child to the Higgins family. It's a young boy that had nothing. All of my other children, all five of the others married young men that came from preachers' homes. People said to me, are you worried about Matt? And I said, I can't explain it to you, but I know this is God's will. I just know it. At the end of his prayers, he then added, Lord, please don't do anything to Amber. That's his my daughter, his wife. But he said, but God, she's yours too. Saturday morning, that was on a Friday night, Saturday morning, he, he did it. He always did. He went with me to the Great Lakes Naval Base and got sailors to come down. And, and Matt was a legitimate Division I athlete. He, he, he could leap out of the building. He could, he could run like a deer. The last play of the night that we play sports, and that was our promotion with the Sailors last play of the night. Matt stole the ball and drove the length of the court and dunked it. Sunday morning, and, and well, I say the last play of the night, the real last play of the night was he won two Sailors to Christ during the chapel service. Sunday morning, he was in the hospital. Before the day was over, we were informed that he had a rare form of cancer. They thought it was appendicitis, but when they opened it up, they saw that tumors were wrapped all around his intestines. It was in doubt that he had lived out the week. 
But God answered his prayer. And Matt preached and won souls and stayed in the ministry, having great influence over this nation for nearly two and a half more years. And I want to make you this statement. Matt and Amber believe God did not give Matt cancer as a result of his prayer, but rather that Matt had the cancer. And as with Philip, God spoke to his heart that night to, to prove him, to see if he would say, you have my life. You see, God still needed somebody to feed the world. God did prove him. Matt heard the voice of God and said, I have a little from a broken home from the ghettos of Philly. He said, I have a little, but you can have all that I have. Please, Lord, take it and use me. Matt's going to preach to you, or at least speak to you now. Can you do that for me now? Matt Guzzi, and I'm standing here in Northeast Philadelphia, actually standing at the house that my family moved into 15 years ago. And when I was around nine years old, my parents got divorced. And then when I was around 11, uh, my mom began searching for the truth about God and the Bible. And we began going to different churches and uh, just looking for the truth. And the Lord worked it out to where she actually got a job right next to a storefront church, Maranatha Baptist Church. It was pastored by Dennis Higgins and uh, right in the heart of the city. And my mom decided to visit there and she got saved. Going to church at Maranatha and having Pastor Higgins as my pastor changed the entire direction of my life. And then Pastor Higgins started a church over in New Jersey, Harbor Baptist Church. And uh, so my mom took me and my brother and I and we moved across the bridge. And I started attending Solid Rock Christian School. Uh, and at 12 years old, after a school devotion, uh, Brother Charlie preached and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, when I was 13 years old, I listened to a sermon CD that was called American Needs Preaching. And I knew in my heart that God was calling me to be a preacher, and I surrendered to that call. I then graduated from Christian school and uh, from Bible college. I married my beautiful wife, Amber, and uh, I actually now get to work for the man in whose church I walked into when I was 11 years old. And, you know, as I stand here now at the age of 22, coming back to my old neighborhood, I just think about the millions of people that live in the city of Philadelphia. I'm amazed that God has saved me and put me into the ministry. I have cancer. It's a rare and aggressive cancer. There's no medical cure for it. If somebody had the cure for my type of cancer, anywhere on earth, I don't care where it was, I would go there today to get treated for it. Cancer is a very cruel disease. It brings a lot of sorrow, heartache, and pain. Cancer is a killer. It would be a terrible thing if somebody had the cure for cancer and wasn't willing to share it. You know, but sin is a lot worse than cancer. And a sin disease is not rare. Everybody has it. Sin is cruel, crueler than cancer is. A sin disease doesn't just bring sorrow, heartache, and pain. It's the cause of all heartache, sorrow, and pain. Sin disease is a killer. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Cancer kills the body, but sin kills the soul. Physical death is bad, but spiritual death is a lot worse. The disease of sin causes lost people to die and spend an eternity in hell. But thank God there is a cure for sin. There's a medicine, there is a remedy, 
The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The cure for sin disease is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way, He's the truth that my mom was looking for and found. He's the life, He's my life. Cancer may take my physical life, but because I'm saved, I know that I have eternal life in heaven. And I want to live. I've been praying and I'm praying that God will completely heal me of my cancer. And it's not because I want to live a long life. That's because I want to reach the Northeast for the Lord. I want to help build Harbor Baptist Church. I want to help see other churches start in the Northeast. But to be honest, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. I may live a long time. I may not. I'm not sure if I'll get all the earthly opportunities to do what's in my heart for the Lord. But all of us, both you and I, need to take the most of the opportunities that God gives us right now. And just like I was reached as a kid in Philadelphia, the kids in Philadelphia today and the people in the Northeast all need to be reached with the gospel. And just like Pastor Higgins came to where I was, he came to my neighborhood, someone needs to go to where these millions of kids are. You know, if there was no Maranatha Baptist Church, I probably wouldn't have gotten saved. I probably wouldn't have gotten called to preach. I probably wouldn't have married my wife. Right now, as I go through this battle with cancer, I wouldn't have the Lord's help and His comfort through this time. You know, it'd be bad if somebody had the cure for cancer and didn't share it, but it's worse if someone has the cure for sin and doesn't share it. You have the cure. My question for you is, are you going to share it? You have the remedy. It goes on for about four more minutes of a song, and, and I normally let it play, but just because of time, I'm not. But the, at the very end of this video, it's a song and talking about the need to reach people, but at the very end, they took a clip of what happened after Matt finished that recording. His mic was turned off. They had to turn it back on. He happened to still have it on. But see, he was there in that same Philly area where, honestly, all around there dealing drugs. And at the very end of it, you see Matt walking. They're done filming him, so he walks over to two men, young men that had a basketball in their hand, and, and they turn on the mic again as he begins to lead them in the sinner's prayer. This is a boy that knows he's dying. But he goes one more time to tell somebody else about Jesus. You see, Matt had one other prayer that night. It's one of the prayer he never told anybody else but me. He said, Lord, use me, but please save my daddy. Two and a half years later, as I stood with my arms around my little girl and and Matt was unconscious in a hospital room. Matt's daddy and his stepmother sat in the waiting area. I walked back into that waiting area, and they sat in a chair. If you know me, you know this is really not 
not me, but I, I fell on my knees in front of that man. And I said, would you let me tell you what Matt would say if he could speak? With tears in his eyes, that man said, yes. And that's able to lead Matt's daddy to Christ. His daddy went back into the room with Matt. And for probably two or three hours, Matt had not responded to anyone. His daddy leaned over in his ear and said, Matt, I'll be with you in heaven. I just accepted Christ as my Savior. And Matt never opened his eyes. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. As I held Amber, I said, he's not saying thank you to me, and he's not saying thank you to his daddy. He's saying thank you to the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. About a month and a half, Matt stood. He was six, almost 6'2", six and he stood there in a pulpit like this at about 130 pounds. The cancer had eaten his body away. He had a not knowing but about a month and a half left to live and he stood behind a pulpit and he preached to about a thousand teenagers. So many got saved. So many surrendered their lives. And for the last nine years I've preached this message many, many places. See, it's because the scripture said, he being dead yet speaketh. God is using him. He said, Brother Hooker, what's this have to do with anything? You see, we take our, we come to Christ, and most of what's happening in, in, with our young people, but all of our people, we come to Christ and we take what he has to give but we hold on to what we want we hold on to our talents we hold on to our beauty we hold on to our desires to our will to our money to our, our wealth our health we hold on You see, the reason we don't continue is because we came, we got saved, we took what he had to offer, and he looks at us and says, will you give yourself to me? But we don't. We're always holding on. Take your fists like this right there. Now you imagine, be honest with yourself, what is in there that you would not give to God? I've dealt with young girls that they're in a relationship that's going to destroy everything, destroy their purity, destroy their future, destroy what God would want to do with them. 
And they know it, but he's in there. And no, I want to serve God. I want to be. I want to go to Bible college, but he's in there. I see young men, their their talents and their careers and their even their sports, and they, uh, yeah, I want to serve God as long as I can continue to do. Fill in the blank. But that's not what God asks. God's looking for some people, young people that'll that'll stop holding on and say, Lord, no, no, no. Take it all. You say, well, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What if God does take it all? Really? Now think about this. If you know the story, that little boy brought a little, a few loaves and a few fishes, and a lot of people have different opinions, but at the end of it, they gather up all the fragments and remain. Yep. Baskets and baskets full of fragments and remain. And they'll say, oh, it's for the disciples. No, that wasn't the disciples in the first place. That little boy went home with so much more than he came with. Plus, he went home knowing that God could use him. I walked away from a career after the police where God was working on me. And, then, and I thought, oh, I didn't know what was happening. And I thought, I'm just so disenchanted and so upset. I went into a business and, 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 and got five promotions in 13 months and, and had 125 employees. And I was making more money than I ever dreamed of making. When God said on Sunday night, will you serve me? And listen, we had walked away from everything. I resigned my job the next day. I walked away from everything. We moved that very week to a place we'd never even seen before. And people say, are you crazy that you gave up an opportunity? You gave up a career. You gave up a home. You gave up all these things. Listen to me. I tell us everywhere. We lived and we didn't have everything everybody else had. But bless God right now at 63 years old, I got everything everybody else wants they all cry about it they went after what they wanted they kept they held on to what they wanted they held on all the way no I'm going to play football no I'm going to do this no I'm going to do that no I'm going to have a career and even listen to me some moms and dads we encourage them no no you don't want to suffer like that you don't want to go through that oh my goodness that's not suffering that's that you get to see the glory of God as God provides what you need I've been blessed beyond measure. I've been blessed beyond comprehension. It didn't come from trying to hold on. It came from just saying, God, I'm too dumb to do anything but just trust you. God's looking for some young people that will continue. But can I tell you, you're not going to continue like this. Because there's going to come a point where God is going to want that hand open and he's going to say, you're going to have to decide now. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm talking about living a life for God. Now the truth is, some of you, your pride and what you choose to believe 
like the man spoke to today, you, you're afraid that if you give your life, if you accept Christ, you may have to change something. Well, brother, Wells needs to explain that as he did to that man today. Matt Guzzi, like no other kid, I've never seen, I've never been around anybody that went through what he went through. And I listen to me, two and a half years, they lived with us most of that time. Two and a half years, his body being eaten away. And listen to me, 22, three, and four years old, and never one time did I hear him say one negative thing. Never complained to God. I never even heard him ask why, Brother Wells. The whole time, he just continued to pray. God, use me. As I stood at the funeral, I held Amber and I said, Amber, you be excited for Matt because in two and a half years God used him more than he uses many who live a lifetime but only because he let go and shame is I wonder what Matt how would he have been if he had been holding on to video game holding on to his sports holding on to his boyfriend or girlfriend or immorality or his pornography what does he hold thank God that one young man just said God I got nothing I come from nowhere and have nothing Please use me. Unless it's scary, I'll say again, God didn't give him cancer. God gave him an opportunity to, to live through cancer being used. Matt already had the cancer when he prayed the prayer. you open up Father I ask you to bless young people dear God that there be some in here today that would just thank you for joining us today for more audio or video content you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org